You want to find the book of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 20. And my email address is kroar at keystonechurch.org. And I give you that because we're going to talk about politics this morning. <laughs> kroar at keystonechurch.org. <clears throat> so I'm going to put all my cards on the table right up front. Um, I have a, a, somebody in the church always uh, says, oh, he started talking about politics and got really nervous. And, I'm, and it's usually just an offhand comment. This is the whole sermon. So it might be tr- problematic. So here's my cards on the table. I am a registered Republican, and I most often vote Republican, although I have been known to flee the flock. I am a conservative in terms of looking at policies and how government should be done. I am a fiscal conservative. I'm a social conservative. I think that conservative principles tend to uh, line up better with how God wants to um, um, do justice, uh, help those in need, and so forth and so on. Nevertheless, um, I think that uh, one of the things that has been happening to me in maybe the last 10 years is I've gotten to have more conversation with people from different sides of the spectrum, <clears throat> and I'm learning how other people look at uh, things like public policy and so forth. Uh, this morning, though, I'm more concerned about how we conduct ourselves in the political realm. We are, <clears throat> I would say that uh, politics is uh, oftentimes what we see anyway, and it's, 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 the tendency is to think that we've kind of gone down a, a steep, sl- slippery slope, and we don't Uh, treat each other and the different sides of the political spectrum as nice as we used to. Well, you study history and that's just not true. Uh, American history has never been really, um, uh, we've never been sweet to each other. I think politics is basically professional wrestling by another name. (laughs) Um, And so here we are one year away from our next uh, presidential election and the temperature's rising, uh, name calling has kicked in and perhaps worse than ever, trolling, trashing candidates that we don't like and supporters of theirs that we don't like. And if you would take uh, probably the pulse of different um, perspectives in the culture, uh, supporters of President Trump probably look at at the U.S. as becoming freer, more prosperous, uh, safer, and the courts more constitutional. If you are a Clinton supporter, and you should know, especially if you're relatively new to Keystone, that not everybody in Keystone Church is a Republican. Not everyone's a conservative. We have moderates and we have progressives and everything in between. But Trump supporters would see things that way, courts becoming more constitutional. Uh, Clinton supporters, on the other hand, still can't believe this country chose a crude billionaire um, that they consider racist as president over Mrs. Clinton. And then there are people from all political persuasions, um, some of who think 
the inmates are running the asylum in this country. And if you, read, if you read newspapers or read magazines, you watch the news, you look at the online news um, venues, and, uh, and if you get on, especially if you get on social media, we see people screaming at those who hold the wrong political views, vote for the wrong candidates, or rule with the wrong policies. And what I'm here to address this morning is a tragic fact that it seems that in some cases that's also true for us as Christians. Are we any different in the political realm? The vitriol, the animosity, the name-calling, even the hatred that can mark followers of Jesus. And I wonder what Jesus might say if he were speaking into our political world today. And so we're going to back up to when Jesus was speaking into the politics of his time. <clears throat> when Jesus was about 10 years old, there was a man who uh, became a, something of a revolutionary. His name was Judas the Galilean. And he was a revolutionary because there was a tax that had been imposed on the Jewish people, a poll tax or a head tax, basically a tax for existing a tax for living on your land. And Judas looked at his Jewish people and he said, you can't pay this tax. It'd be wrong to pay it because we have no king but God. And so those among his fellow countrymen who chose to pay the tax, he and some of his followers would sneak into their homes at night or into their, onto the property and steal the cattle or burn their houses down. And Jesus was asked a question about this particular tax one day. And he was asked, would you favor paying the tax or would you oppose paying the tax? And that's the text we're going to look at this morning. Our text is Luke chapter 20, beginning verse 20. And the people that are asking Jesus about what he would do weren't really interested in his answer except as how it would affect his fan base or how it would affect his opposition. In other words, they were trying to trap Jesus. Watching for their opportunity, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. They tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor so that he would arrest Jesus. Teacher, they said, we know that you speak and teach what is right and are not influenced by what others think. Now, just as a, a, a side observation, when a pastor hears someone saying that to him, he always says to himself, uh-oh. Now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their trickery and he said, Show me a Roman coin whose picture and title are stamped on it. Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And so they failed to trap him by what he said in front of the people. Instead, they were amazed by his answer. 
and they became silent. Now, before we unpack this, let's go to the Lord prayer. Father, at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by you, the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. You alone can never die. You live in light so brilliant that no human can approach you. No human eye has ever seen you, nor ever will. All honor and power to you forever. And we who live in the land of the free and the home of the brave and who love this nation confess that we have no king before you. Nevertheless, we have a king after you. And sometimes we get confused about which comes first and sometimes we get confused about which matters most. And worst, sometimes we get confused about where our trust should lie. And I would pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak to me, to Keith, Pastor Keith, and then to each one of us individually regarding how we look at the whole political spectrum in our land, how we speak about others who disagree with us and to them, and where we place our great, greatest confidence. May there be things that we can tease out of this observation that Jesus made that speaks to us today where we stand and where we land in Jesus' name. Amen. And just a reminder that we have our prayer room open all the time. Feel free as God would prompt you to go there uh, even during our sermon. So last week is Halloween, so can't avoid getting trick-or-treat into my outline, although it's going to be trick-or-truth. It says in verse 23 that Jesus, when he listened to their question, he saw through their trickery. Now again, they, people that were questioning Jesus about this were determined to keep him from answering both and. He had to answer either or. Their, uh, probably their second choice would be that he would say to Jewish people, pay the taxes. The result of which would be he would alienate his base. What they really hope would happen is that he would say, don't pay your taxes. And then they could go to the Roman governor and say, he is a traitor. He's uh, trying to foment insurrection. And in fact, when they took him to Pilate and Luke 23, verse 1, then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman governor and by claiming he is the Messiah, a king. And so even despite the fact that Jesus said, uh, pay your taxes, they're still beating this drum when it came time to try to get him in trouble with the Roman authorities. And Jesus said, look, I'm not going to say uh, either or. It's not one or the other. It is both and. You pay to God what is his and you pay to Caesar what is his. 
And he pulled, teases this out by asking them to pull out a, a coin out of their pocket. And it was a silver denarius. It was a, worth about one day's wages. So you calculate what you made on Friday if you were uh, working for your employer. And that's about what it would be worth. And Jesus asked them this question. All right, whose image is on it and what inscription is on it? Now, the image on it was Tiberius, Caesar Tiberius, uh, of that day, and the inscription on it read like this, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. And Jesus is looking at the people that, that are trying to put him on the spot, and he's saying, look, here's the truth. Let's go beyond taxes and talk about what you owe to the Roman government, and let's talk about what you owe to God. You're trying to trap me, you're trying to trick me, but the truth is there's something bigger in play here. Let's discuss to whom we owe what. Let's talk about tribute to God and tribute to government, what we owe them. Let's talk about treason to the government and treason to God, what we don't owe them, but what we may, um, by what we do, by what we say defy them so let's talk about this these two pieces of the outline talk about tribute or treason as it pertains to government and then as it pertains to God so what do we owe the government of the United States of America I assume uh, all of you are citizens of the United States what is it what tribute do you owe them well Jesus made it very clear in having this coin brought forth the image of Caesar is on that, and the, the coin itself was minted by the authorities. You use it for economic benefit day in and day out. Therefore, you are obligated to pay them the taxes that you owe them. Now, it's interesting that Jesus said that despite the fact that, they, that Caesar Augustus, that, that inscription says he is son of the divine August Caesar Augustus Tiberius son of the divine Augustus Augustus was the previous Caesar he was his stepson and later his adopted son and people were looked people looked at Caesar as if he was divine so if Tiberius is the son of the divine Caesar who is Tiberius son of God right son of God in fact, it's interesting if you would flip that coin over on the back was this inscription, Pontiff Maxim, Pontiff Maxim. Now, if you were raised in the Roman Catholic Church, that might sound vaguely familiar because today the Pope, and it has been the case for many, many, many centuries, takes the title of Pontifex Maximus. In other words, the title on the reverse of that coin was, coin was a shortened version of Pontifex Maximus, which means greatest priest. And so here's the, here's the Roman emperor in, in Jesus' day claiming to be the son of God and claiming to be the greatest priest. Sound familiar? Book of Hebrews, son of God, the great high priest. And yet despite the fact that Caesar is claiming a blasphemous title, two blasphemous titles that belong to Jesus, 
He did not counsel, he did not encourage them to not pay their taxes. He did not encourage them to move out into the countryside, cut all ties with the government and culture and live off the grid. He didn't counsel any kind of disobedience at all for them, skirting their obligations. And the apostles would flesh this out far uh, more clearly in the days ahead. Romans chapter 13, verse 7. Paul says, Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Now most of you know that I grew up in the Mennonite church. And there were a group of people in the Mennonite church that every year would deny a portion of their federal taxes to the federal government. That it was, it was what they calculated was um, the portion of their taxes that would go to the military establishment. Of course, as pacifists, they had a problem with that. And so instead, the government would come in and confiscate those tax dollars from their savings account. And they kind of did this every year, and it was kind of an understood gentleman's agreement. But I don't think you can get there from the scripture. You give to those, pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. Pay your taxes, give your obedience to them. So that's number one. Taxes, and I think taxes, we can use that as a heading for all kinds of obedience to the government. First part of the tribute that we owe government is paying our taxes and whatever obedience does not conflict with our obedience to God. Secondly, respect. You saw that in that text as well. Give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Now, you think about the last time you talked about somebody that is in public office that you don't like. Did you pass muster? Did we pass muster? And the call to respect those who are over us? And you might say, well, I'm a, I'm a conservative Republican, so I, I have my guy in office right now. You think about the Obama years. Do we respect those who are in authority over us? Regardless of party, regardless of personality, regardless of policies, we can still criticize. We can still disagree. We can still vote against. We can still write an editorial. I'm, I'm not saying that we just close our mouths but how we speak of these people is it godly if they happen to disagree with our particular politics so we owe them respect and last and not least we owe them prayer first timothy chapter 2 beginning of verse 1 i urge first of all to pray for all people I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Now, sometimes we forget that prayer can change a great deal when it comes to public policy. And we do all the clamoring and none of the praying or very little of the praying. And I don't know about you. And some of you know I'm a political junkie. I I have to follow all that's going on. But when I read this, I'm convicted every time I read it. 
that I'm far better at speaking about what I don't like than I am about praying for those who have been placed in position of authority over me. Prayer, paying taxes, obedience to the government, respect, prayer. That's our tribute to the government. What is our treason before the government? Disobedience. Disobedience. And you have to realize when Jesus is talking about paying tribute to the government of his day, it wasn't the U.S. of A. It didn't create a safe space for those who didn't approve of their policies. When, when Paul is talking about giving to Rome what is her due, giving respect to him, obeying, obeying Caesar, he's talking about people like Nero, whose policies were not, uh, Christians were not fans of Nero's policies. Disobedience, that's treason, despite the wicked things that the government do, may do, despite its abuse of power, despite its injustice, despite its greed. Going to back, back to that passage in Romans chapter 13, back up to verse one. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. He's not saying the good authorities. He's not saying the, the ones that care about you and the ones that give you consideration. He's saying Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. Comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Yes, even the candidate you didn't vote for. And so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished for the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right. And let me just put a pause there and say we understand that there are many government authorities across the world, across time, who have struck fear into the hearts of those who do good. This is a big overarching general principle that Paul is saying government is placed there for the ultimate good of the people. They don't always act like that, but they are basic. Think about the displacement of authority altogether. In a blink of an eye, government is gone. For all of the things that we complain about now, imagine what it would be like in that situation. Continuing. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid for they have the power to punish you. There are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. And so you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Now just for the record, this has nothing to do with speeding laws. Verse 6. Verse 6. Pay your taxes too for the same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. This is, I think this is huge to understand. We can get so upset, so frustrated with Harrisburg and Washington, D.C. and the cultural influences of our time that end up shaping public policy that is is horrible and forget that God has placed these sovereignly placed these people 
where, he's, where they are. It's not by accident. It's not just by a voter count. It's not just by the mechanisms of the parties. God uses government sometimes to bless and God uses government sometimes to judge. But make no mistake about it. God has never gotten up after an election and gone like this. Can you believe what happened last night while I wasn't on duty? Never. Treason. Disobedience of government. Now, this might bother you. Some of you know the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor during um, World War II, Nazi German, German pastor. <clears throat> and Dietrich Bonhoeffer became part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. And he actually was hung in a camp just a couple of weeks before the Allies liberated And it's interesting because Bonhoeffer was a pacifist. And yet he came to the conclusion that something needed to be done. Now, after what I just read in Romans 13, do you see any way that that can be justified? And I'll ask you a harder question. Based on what we read in Romans 13, if King George was placed in England by God, can you see justification for being part of the American Revolution? I'm asking the question. For me, I would have been, had to have been a loyalist in 1776. I'm so grateful for this country we have, but I could not have been part of that revolution. To me, the scripture seems so unequivocal. Obedience is called for, is part of the tribute, disobedience. Again, up to the point where it infringes upon what God asks of us, I think is treason. So what do we owe God? That's what we owe government. What tribute do we owe God? Jesus said, isn't it interesting? He said, give to Caesar what you owe Caesar and give um, God, what you owe him. And I would imagine if people were sitting around hanging on his every word, they would have said, that's it? Uh, uh, aren't you going to give us any more? And sometimes I, I wonder if we don't, especially as preachers and teachers, give too much. And sometimes God, the Holy Spirit, is going to lead one person one way and another person another way, but we kind of checkmate that voice because we give so many specifics but let me try this you remember when Jesus asked them when he's going to answer the question about taxes he asked them to produce a coin and what was the question he asked them two things about the coin whose image is on it and what inscription is on it so let me ask you whose image do you bear Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. In the image image of God, he created them. 
Now, if the coin that bore Caesar's imprint was owed to Caesar, how much more the entire life of those of us who bear the image of God is owed to God. And that, if I understand that concept accurately, that means that there is nothing, nothing that God cannot ask of us. Nothing. You are not your own, but you are bought with a, with a what? Price. The very blood of Christ. I, I, I owe him everything. My life, my family, my wealth, my time, my motivation, my words, my everything. Is there anything that you have kind of cordoned off in your life and say, no, this is mine. You can have everything else, God. But this is reserved for me. It may be a person. It may be something. It may be what you do with your time. It may be your money. It may be your attitude. Everything belongs to him in whose image we have been cast. If that's our tribute, what could be treason? Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have just healed a man who was lame, a beggar. And uh, of course that stirs up the populace and gets them listening to the preaching about Jesus that Peter and John do. And so they're called before the Sanhedrin, the council of the Sadducees and Pharisees, and they're asked to account for this. And so they do, and they explain that Jesus uh, really was the one that healed them, healed this man. They didn't. And so they told them to stop preaching about Jesus. Verse 18, they called the apostles back in and commanded them never to again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And so they went out and they continued to preach. And again, they get drugged back in and they are ordered to stop. And chapter 5, we see the same kind of response in verse 24. Uh, that doesn't look quite right. It's 39, I think. Oh, no, 29. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross and then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior, doing this so that the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. And of course, we now know that that wasn't just for Israel, but the Gentiles as well. In other words, it is treason if we yield to any kind of pressure 
to disobey God. And sometimes that pressure can come through the government itself. We're seeing increasingly uh, pressure by official forces to stop sharing the gospel. About a month and a half ago, four students from Wheaton College were filed a lawsuit in court because they had gone out, as teams have done from Wheaton uh, on Friday night for literally decades, gone into downtown Chicago, share the gospel. And I think this was last year, actually, toward the end of last year, they were giving out tracts. And a security guard came up to them and told them they can't do that anymore. There's now a, a, um, a law that the city of Chicago has put in place that says they can't do this in public places. So they left the park and they went to the sidewalk and they began to do street preaching. And again, they were stopped. And so they have filed suit uh, about this. Uh, why? Well, because as Christians, we know the call is there on our lives to share the good news with people. 1 Timothy chapter 2, again, verse 3, beginning of verse 3. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And so we might have certain places where we say, no, I'm going I'm to share the gospel uh, uh, while I'm on the clock, for example. So I'm, I'm serving my employer and I have a contract with him or her that I'm not going to do things other than my work during this time. So I'm not going to share the gospel during my, while I'm on the clock. But in my community, in public places, I'm going to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I, I'm going to, as long as I can, avail myself of the governmental resources to try to keep that option open. But the day may come when we would have to disobey the government about that. When gay marriage was declared constitutional in 2015, all of a sudden Christian entrepreneurs were faced with the um, decision, do I violate my conscience and violate biblical teaching and photograph uh, a gay wedding or provide a cake for celebrating a a gay wedding and violate what I believe is biblical teaching. And so we have seen a number of those cases make their ways through the courts. Um, To the highest court, unfortunately, the Supreme Court has not ruled definitively even in those cases that made it to the court. Um, They they would be decided on... um, issues other than religious liberty, which is of great concern to me. Not sure where this is going to end up. But I think the day may well be coming where the church is going to have to wrestle with some decisions regarding do I obey God or do I obey the human, um, the, the government? I don't know if you saw just a couple of weeks ago, Beto O'Rourke, one of the Democratic candidates for president, was um, uh, uh, answering questions in front of a uh, LGBTQ crowd and they asked him should a college a church any kind of institution that opposes gay marriage should they be, be denied tax exempt status and he was very quick to say yes there should be no benefit there should be no, no advantage to you if you deny human rights of course, of course which is a misrepresentation you deny anybody their civil rights or human rights and his argument is if a church opposes gay marriage that's denying anyone someone their civil rights 
And so the day may well come where we as a church will be required to officiate at gay marriages. And we will, of course, say no. We must obey God. In other words, we must always obey our ultimate king ahead of the king who has an office in D.C. And we say, if you're going to take our tax-exempt status away, fine. That's probably going to go sooner or later anyway. I think about our brothers and sisters in China. Up until two years ago, it was the official policy of the Chinese government to permit only one child per family. Now, what if you were a Christian parent? And either the birth control didn't work or, or, or you chose not to t- have it, uh, utilize it and you are suddenly pregnant with a second child. Thankfully, China has seen the error of its ways and now they have a two-child policy and they're actually panicking about what the future looks like because they have not replenished the generations. By the way, that's instructional for a country that loves abortion. The future can become very bleak. But what, what if, prior to two seven, 2017, you had a second child? Are you turning him over to the state to be killed, boarded? What are you going to do if you believe that life is sacred, something that God creates? We ought to obey God rather than man. Now, let me make a suggestion here that may be the source of your emails. If, if I yield to mistreating those who have different political views than I do, contempt, ridicule, and venom, is that a kind of treason against God <clears throat> based on this? Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is you shall say it with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Yeah, that's right. And the second is like the first, right? And the second is like the first. You shall scream at your neighbor when they have different political views. Isn't that what it says in your Bible? And love your neighbor as yourself. And isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't prioritize really. He says the greatest commandment is this, and the second is like the first. And and scratch beneath the surface of some of the enmity that maybe some of us have and express toward those we disagree with. And and I, I think about... If you have strong feelings like I do about things that get decided in Washington and how public policy uh, is un, unfurled, and uh, you know, and I, this whole idea of what kind of people we have on our Supreme Court, you know, I'm obsessive about originalists. I understand that the Constitution was designed not as a living document, but as a concrete document that. For hundreds of years, the people of the United States of America could look to that document and understand its intent by the framers and live like that. 
And so I want desperately to see originalists, on, not conservatives necessarily, I want originalists on the court. And I get upset at people that get consumed. I, I want my philosophical bent to be there. I want, you know, I want you to, uh, if you're going to further my agenda and so forth, and I can get And some of you know the feeling. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here's what I wonder. When we, can, when we get um, as wound up and focused on and angry about our earthly government, I have to ask myself the question, have I misplaced my faith? Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, that my confidence is in, not in ultimately in my king, but in my king. And if I can just be instrumental in getting the right people in office, then everything's great. I came across a piece a number of years ago that was written by a Christian that I assume is a moderate Christian or even a progressive Christian. And he wrote an article that I didn't like very much because it kind of hit home because he was speaking about people like me on the right. And he said, I wonder whether or not you have embraced a different gospel. And he went on to label it as the prosperity gospel. And then he said, no, not that kind of prosperity gospel. And I'm gonna just read you a sampling of some things that he asked that I think are, I, I think they're worth pondering for people like me he says it's a gospel that suggests that living out and sharing your faith is dependent on having the freedom to do so it's a gospel that looks to the government rather than the church or home to do the heavy lifting on matters of faith it's a gospel that suggests that without conservative supreme court justices or without guns, or without a strong military, and I had a son that served in the United States Army for 11 years, I'm a fan of a strong military, but he's asking that, he's saying that maybe our gospel without these things will be unbearable, without a strong military that life will be unbearable for Christians. It's a gospel that suggests one's greatest source of identity and value can be found in one's nationality instead of one's Christ. It's a gospel that laments the loss of prayers, prayer in schools rather than the lack of prayer at home. It's a gospel that dreads a future in which Christians are persecuted for sharing their faith but puts no real emphasis on sharing it now. It's a gospel that says it's better to silence opponents than minister to them. And it's a gospel that looks to Fox News for truth rather than the Bible and so I ask us this morning I ask you individually no matter what your political persuasion is because this can apply to anybody who votes anyway which king are you counting on 
Not which do you try to obey, but which one are you counting on? Because the answer to that question will probably answer the question, how do you treat those who disagree with you? How do you think about them? How do you speak to them and about them? Let's pray. Father, we live in probably the most incredible nation the world has ever known. The majesty and the freedom that we have enjoyed thanks to some men that got together in Philadelphia back in the late 1700s is it's almost unimaginable to many people that live around the world today. And we have the ability, even the luxury, of shaping and framing what this land will look like tomorrow and 20 years from now and 50 years from now. And sometimes it's tempting to push the panic button and forget that this nation, like the rest, will come and go. But your kingdom will never end. And the king of that kingdom will never die, will never be voted out of office, will never have some embarrassing tidbit about his life revealed. Yes, was tempted in every way just as we are, and yet was without sin. And that that king desires our ultimate loyalty, our ultimate fidelity, our ultimate confidence. And so I don't know how this message applies to 200 people here. But I already know how it applies to Keith. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you would visit each heart here that follows Jesus with his personal message, his individual message and call to response that might make Jesus the rightful head of each one of our lives and the right, rightful head of where our confidence in the future lies. And, and, and give us the kind of expression of that that communicates to people all around us who, like us, have been made in the image of you. That there is a confidence that that person has. No matter what happens politically, that they don't have. And who knows? But what that itself might open a door to a hope for them in a different king. And we pray in that king's name. Amen.